This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello, and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for the middle of February. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Yes, Trevor, the real deal. We're here. We're finally here. We took another week off to you know recover from illnesses this time it was you not me i had this terrible respiratory infection that like coincided with the first week of true stay-at-home dattery where like shelly's back to work and it's all on me you know how's that been going well the baby's doing great my house looks like a disaster zone i assume that's just a part of parenthood at least popular sitcoms would have me believe. Yeah, but it's not her fault. She's not like a toddler who's leaving shit around. It's me not doing anything to keep up my environment. <laughs> but it's great. It's been amazing. Uh, parenthood, go for it. That's my advice. I recommend it to everybody, whether you're capable or not. <laughs> <laughs> what about my finances? No, don't. It doesn't matter. Kid'll pay for itself. Um. Do they still do Getty's babies? Do you remember that? Those were those calendars where they had little babies that would dress up like sunflowers or whatever. Well, I say that would dress up as if they as if they're they have anything to do with it. You know, their their showbiz moms would take them down to an agency and then it is already sounds very exploitative. Yeah, but it was admittedly adorable back in the nineties. Getty babies, I think, was it was called. Uh, Trevor Ickrath, how about yourself? What's going on? Are you okay? Are you doing well? I've been pretty okay. Yeah. Nothing nothing exciting happening over here in Hallelujah Monkeys West, really. My job's been killing me, really raking me over the coals lately. Oh, it sounds like you're you're living the grind to me. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I never talk about it on the show, but I work for a, a financial liquidation firm. Ugh. Yeah, doing some high concept cerebral expense writing. It sounds like what you need is a an hour and a half of talking about all kinds of fun stuff, like cartoon characters and music. What do you say we get into the news? Dylan, if this episode comes in at anything under three hours, it's going to be a miracle. So yeah, let's get right to it. Let's talk about the news. <laughs> it's all good news now. New G-mixes, Trevor. New G-mixes as, uh, as of the day that we're recording. It just like happened this last weekend. Always exciting. Yeah, the, the, this is the eighth one. You know, I, I opened up uh, uh, Russell's first, and I noticed that he had this Nigerian artist, like, right at the top. And I got kind of excited for a second. Like, what if this G-Mix is, like, the first official piece of, like, new album cycle material where we're going to start getting into our world music? And... Interesting. Like, maybe previewing some of the collaborators we might see coming up. But but you know what? It just – the theme did not survive. <laughs> They didn't. They didn't go that way. Same old standard fare. Same old boilerplate. Russell. Yeah. Playlist. Urban Russell. Let me guess. Let me guess. Noodle probably brought some vaguely feminist indie pop to the table. <laughs> That's right. Whereas, whereas Murdoch showed up with some some good old fashioned punk and pub rock and two yep. D maybe <laughs> maybe he came in with a little bit of that uh, cheesy eighties synth fare. Yep. There you go. That sound about right. Do I do I got that one? <laughs> Correct. Although, you know, the only thing that was kind of interesting is that both Murdoch and 2D's uh, uh, playlist featured multiple cuts from Graham Coxon's uh, soundtrack for The End of the Fucking World that that I think Channel 4 slash Netflix series that you can watch right now. 
Yeah, I keep seeing it on Netflix, but I, I watched the little like, you know, like 30 second teaser that just starts playing when you hover over it. And it looks kind of unbearable. I watched the first two episodes while I was like watching a baby and stuff. And yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's like dark twee. You would you would probably yeah. call it. And, and usually I'm all about that stuff. Honestly, I love twee shit, but I don't know. Maybe I'm not in that point in my life for it right now. But you know what? Give that Graham Coxon uh, soundtrack a listen because it's a it's pretty much a fully realized Graham Coxon record, like with just a little bit more instrumental than usual, but a lot of singing. And I think it's like it might actually be my favorite Graham Coxon solo record that I've heard. Fun, cool. I'm I'm a I'm a decent fan of his solo stuff. He's put in some pretty cool stuff by himself. It, it feels like what he was inspired by was kind of like there was a '70s movie called Harold and Maude. It was like one of the first uh, kind of alternative dark comedies. Uh, and and I guess thematically, you could say End of the Fucking World probably borrows a lot from it. Yeah, I got similar vibes to that. That's also twee in a similar kind of way. I'm surprised we've never gotten any references to Harold and Maude and Gorillas. That feels like it would be in their wheelhouse. Oh, doesn't it? But, you know, Cat Stevens did all the music for that movie, and it kind of almost feels like on this soundtrack, uh, Graham Coxon is, like, doing my version of a Cat Stevens record. It's kind of interesting. That doesn't surprise me at all. That sounds, yeah, that sounds like something that would happen. Uh, reminder, by the way, that the South American Leg of the Humans tour uh, kicks off in one month. The Gorillas Twitter account even posted a little, like, tour poster uh, digital tour poster. That's exciting. Yeah, we're gonna have. Uh, did you see the? Did you see the collaborators that they listed? There's De La Soul, Little Sims, yep. Booty Brown, yep. Peven Everett, yep. Pauline Black. What? Interesting, right? <laughs> Coming on tour. She's, yeah, she's she's Billboard worthy now, I guess. And of course, Jamie Principal yeah. and Kelly Uchis. Kelly Uchis, which is great because she hasn't been around for a little while, and obviously for South America, it'll be great to have her. She's only going to be there for Mexico, though. I know that's a little bit of a yeah, bummer. She should yeah. come. She should come to. I, I know she's a busy girl. She's got an album coming out. I Callie, guess. take your shoes off. Stay a while. Uh, but Pauline Black, do you think they're they're gonna let her jump on a few of these other tracks? And she's coming along for the ride. I'm still. I'm still. Uh, I'm still a staunch defender of her version of Charger. I say as if I've listened to it since our bonus episode, which I haven't. But. <laughs> Got a little, got, the hate it got was not warranted, I think. Well, since since you brought it up, uh, here's a thought I had this week, Trevor. Do you think that it's possible that the Super Deluxe Humans bonus tracks we will someday look upon as having the relationship to this next Gorillaz album that The Fall does to humans? Where like, oh, this was kind of what they were moving towards in its, in its elemental, you know, mode. And now it makes a lot more sense seeing what comes after it. Do you think that there's a possibility of that? Only time will tell, you know? Only time will tell. Only time will tell. We'll see. Hopefully, we'll find out sooner rather than later. For my money, if they want to bust something out that they can throw Pauline Black on, I mean, she's she's like a two-tone lady, so like, what about a what about a sped-up version of, uh, of Slow Country with Pauline Black on? Oh, dope. That would be so good. I'd love it. I'd love it. Any of their more reggae offerings, she'd do well on, I think. I agree. Um, Trevor, this always seems to happen where we'll talk about something about our, our wish for more information about something on uh, an episode. And then like the very next episode, the boys bring it up again. It's very interesting. It's very eerie. Right. Because last time we mentioned how it seems like it's been a minute since we've heard about the TV show. And this week we've got a new Jamie Hewlett quote to discuss about 
Just that. And I think in some ways our fears are being assuaded and in some ways they're being confirmed. So Right. Things are still kind of up in the air. I usually read our Damon quotes. Do you want to read the Jamie quote? Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. This is from an interview, by the way, with a magazine called Creative Review, which I which I had to, by the way, register to read this article, which is always annoying. I hate it. Um, I did not whitelist them on my ad blocker, so joke's on them. Uh, <laughs> here it is. Jamie Hewlett in that interview says... The Gorillaz TV show is still in discussion. I wrote a 10-part TV series to go with the last album, but what we've decided is if Gorillaz is going to be an ongoing thing, then the TV show doesn't have to be alongside an album. It can be a separate thing. So it was rewritten, and we're talking to people. There's a lot of adult animated cartoons at the moment. Netflix seems to have an awful lot of them. We have a good idea for an ongoing series that we'd like to do, something that's floating around at the moment. So, uh, interesting. A couple of interesting things here is that the, the original drafts of these episodes, Trevor, were, were, I guess, linked to the humans material? I think that's the first time we've gotten that little detail, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think before that, we'd always kind of speculated that maybe some of those those hallowed 40 leftover tracks would be dusted off for the purposes of the TV show. Uh I guess I could see that working, like somehow look at look at Saturn's bars as like a backdoor pilot for what that series might have been at that point. Yeah, I wonder if it would be like an episodic kind of thing that just so happens to feature the songs in the show in the order they're presented in the album, or if it would be something that kind of has an ongoing plot that mirrors the arc that we see happen on the record. My desire for a Gorillaz TV show would be for it to be very episodic and like no rules. You can do whatever you want, like do an episode where I've always thought it'd be really funny to do an episode where everybody's really old and like Murdoch has to get the band back together for a, for a cash in reunion tour. Like, I think it'd be fun to just jump all over the place. But, you know, Jamie knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Let's trust the man. It's a little disappointing to hear that the things have maybe stalled out a little bit, but it doesn't sound like he's totally given up on it. I'm not done talking about the Gorillaz cartoon, Trevor, and yet we're out of news about the Gorillaz cartoon. So what do you say we go on to our next segment, the hallowed uh, listener <laughs> participation segment, and thumb through the voicemail box to see... Uh, if we have any relevant voicemails this week, in a segment we called Hallelujah Voicemails. And all I want to hear is the message beep. Let's do it. Okay, let's play a message to see if we got something Gorillaz cartoon TV show related. Hey, Hallelujah Monkeys, it's Seth calling in from the center of the hollow earth. Um, I've got a question that requires a little bit of background. So let's say... For example, that the Gorillaz cartoon only has a budget to have three guest appearances, and these are people that have been on all of the Gorillaz albums to date. Which three do you want, and what hijinks do they get up to? See ya. Great question. Excellent question. Uh, this, I, this, I immediately had some answers leap out in my mind. I don't know if you had a similar situation for yourself, Trevor. I did, because when you consider you know, guests that have played an important role in Gorillas to the point where you want to see them on the TV show, I think you're bound to come up with a couple, like, names right off the bat. Yeah, and so my feeling was, like, if this if this is to be an egalitarian Gorillas experience, not just for the hardcore fan, then you want to get those, those big kind of, like, crowd-pleaser picks, and that's exactly what I've done here today, Trevor. Should I go first? Yeah, why don't you uh, hit me with yours? Okay, my first two, I think, are, are pretty no brainery they might have been the first two names that popped into a lot of our listeners heads i decided to go with uh del the funky homo sapien and Good. de la soul great uh and i and and 
the I guess the hijinks that I had in mind for them would be like, don't 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 reinvent the wheel. Let let Dell play Dell the Ghost Rapper. Bring him back, uh, possessing Russell and whatnot, and and you're done. You don't need to do anything better than that. De La Soul, I thought would be fun if they were like uh, if they were like mad scientists, kind of going back to the fall episode. My pitch for a uh, a moments video. So like I remember that that was a lot of fun back on that episode, and I think it would make a great idea for the TV show. You could have them, you know, like they could even sort of be like a three person version of like Q from the from the Bond series, giving the gorillas their gadgets and things. That might be fun. Uh, and then number three was kind of like a <laughs> maybe would mean more to a British audience than to an American one. But I think Sean Ryder would be really great. My take for Sean Ryder would be that he be like gorillas drug dealer. And so like we because every good adult animated TV show you know, Bojack Horseman or, or Rick and Morty or whatever, always has a, a, a like, a drug trip-centered episode. So I figured just, like, each each member of the band would get the, the mind-altering experience of their choice from, like, Sean Ryder, and then Sean would kind of appear to each of them individually as their kind of drug Sherpa <laughs> managing them through their spirit journey. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun and yeah if there's a collaborator you want to see fill that kind of role it's definitely Sean, Sean Ryder, Ryder. Yeah. I was kind of I was definitely operating on a similar wavelength when I approached good. this question because uh two of mine are actually the same oh good I've also got uh I've also got De La Soul and Sean Ryder because I think they are just two essential collaborators that need to be in the mix later in the show I'll talk about what I'd like to see De La Soul do in an animated program it's pretty similar to I think what we're talking about here but like I've always pictured <laughs> sure. the Gorillas animated series as a kind of like X-Files Scooby do ask monster of the week type program and i would i would love to see like uh the band have to like exercise a spirit from sean Ryder, like do like an exorcist style episode where his head is spinning around and he's like throwing up and stuff like that oh yeah that'd be great and then for my third collaborator since i always have to find a way to involve him somehow i thought it'd be great for jamie principal to show up and i think i'd really love to see him like take the gang to like a Chicago house party in like a big warehouse or something. Great. And they have to track down like a body jumping demon that's hopping from like party goer to party goer. And there would definitely be some like psychedelia in that episode as well. And you could get like some of the old classic figures of that scene, like Frankie Knuckles to do little cameos and whatnot. That'd be great. Totally. Yeah. There'd be ghosts everywhere. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm into that. Hey, hire us. Let us write this thing. You know? Let us write the girls' TV show. Boys, come on. It's still in production. There's still time. <laughs> I'm assuming that's what Saf wanted us to answer. I, I think, didn't they say something like three guest appearances have been on all of the Gorillaz albums? I don't know if they, maybe they misspoke. Maybe they meant have already been on a Gorillaz album. I'm not sure. I'm not totally sure, but hey, we answered it regardless. We answered it. We answered it. Hopefully they'll have more money and they can get a whole cavalcade of at least one guest star per episode is what i'd hope for All right but speaking of three special appearances we've got a classic album to talk about this week do you want to get to the round table yeah i'm, I'm biting i'm chomping at the bit so let's do it that phrase is actually champing at the bit did you know that I, is it it is oh weird popular usage a lot of people think it's chomping because horses chomp at the bit like uh-huh. you know they chomp with their teeth but it's actually champing oh champing at the bit anyway let's talk about de la soul and now for my next number I'd like to return to the classics, perhaps the most famous classic in all the world of music. I've been so excited to talk about this with you all week, Trevor. This has long been a favorite, a staple of my uh, hip-hop universe. And honestly, this is going to sound kind of weird, 
But I've been thinking about you a lot this week and wondering how you might be reacting to this album. In fact, it's colored my entire listening experience of me like trying to hear it through your ears to wonder what on earth is Trevor Eckrath going to think about Three Feet High and Rising, the classic 1989 De La Soul debut album. Before we talk about my experiences with the record, how about we give a little background as to who De La Soul are at this point in time? Because, you know, they've been on three of the four Major Gorillas studio albums, but I feel like some of our listeners might not really be familiar with uh, their individual identities as three different MCs. And we've got a kind of fourth musketeer character hanging around to talk about, too. So why don't we go through them? That's an excellent point. First, let's talk about the group's two MCs. We've got Plug One and Plug Two. Plug One, Paz Denise. Paz, who, uh, if you're a Gorillaz fan, you'll know him best because he took the lead on the song Moments. He's on the all the De La Soul ones, but that was kind of the Paz the New Show uh, uh, De La Soul collaboration. And his name is Soundsop, spelled backwards. It is, yes. And he's a, he's a, he's a handsome gentleman. He's got now, now bald. Back then, all of these boys were rocking very distinct 1980s haircuts. Very interesting haircuts. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, who's plugged to? Plug two is Trugoy the Dove, or Dave. Or Yogurt, because Trugoy is Yogurt spelled backwards. That too, that too. You'll, you'll best know him uh, as the the kind of leading personality of the rap of Feel Good Inc. Paz and Trugoy kind of split the duties on, on Super Fast Jellyfish. But, uh, but you know, he's, he's a little bit more clownish. He's a little bit more silly, a little bit more lighthearted and goofy. Uh, and, and he's a little bit older than Paz the News. So when this album comes out... Paz is 19, Trugoy is 20. And then there's the third member of De La Soul, their DJ, Vincent Mason, better known as Mace or Macea or even Pacemaster Mace. Pacemaster Mace. Mace stands for making a sound effort, by the way. And how do how do Gorillaz fans know Mace the best? He's the one doing the laugh and feel good ink. Of course, he's the big laugh. Who can forget? He's the youngest member, too, 18 years old when this album comes out, 17 when the sessions began. And it's important to note, Mace isn't a rapper. He's not going to be dropping any bars here. He's the group's DJ. And Dylan, I feel like some of our younger listeners might not be as familiar with the kind of role that a DJ plays in a classic hip-hop group like this, because you don't really see that a lot anymore. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you, if you, Let's say you go to the Palladium to see Drake. Drake's just got his backing tracks ready to be played by the venue, and he's going to go up and do his thing and probably have some guests and some hype men and maybe some dancers. Back in the 80s, you need a DJ. If you're a rapper, you need a DJ. If you're a group of rappers, you need a DJ. If there's no DJ, there's really no music. you got to have somebody who is plugging into the soundboard he's got uh he's got a a, a deck a, a dj deck so it's two vinyl record decks and he's fading back and forth be- between them to do the breaks if he's if he's sort of uh, uh a little bit more accomplished he might also do what's called turntablism the scritching and scratching which which maceo does plenty of on this record and did plenty of in in the live uh de la soul dates and it's interesting as some of these groups you know aged into the 90s into the 2000s Maybe it wasn't necessary to have a DJ anymore, but, you know, you're still a member of the group. You still got to do your thing, you know? Right, and he does contribute some musical stuff to the studio versions of the songs as well. It's true, because he was sort of taken under the wing of, let's let's call him the fourth member of De La Soul, at least, maybe, for this album. It feels... Odd. A little bit. The group's producer, Prince Paul. Yes, yes. Prince Paul, who's 21 when this album comes out, who, who produced the thing, uh, he basically sat down with Mace and he's like, look, you're a member of this group. 
and I want the sound to reflect, you know, your your ideas. And, and so he would sit him down and say, here's the console, here's what this does, you know, tell me what you want to hear and I'll try to make it happen. Very cool. Very, very cool. And uh, and it's worth mentioning, by the way, that Maceo, when this album comes out, 18, Paws 19, Trugoy 20, and Prince Paul 21. And all four of them were at one point simultaneously attending uh, Amityville uh, Memorial High School as a as a uh, freshman and junior and, and sophomore, or freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior, respectively, at the same time. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? I sent you this little documentary uh, that kind of looked at their early days that I really enjoyed. And it was so funny watching Prince Paul talk about the rest of De La Soul because he's like, man, in high school, like, I was a nerd, but these guys were nerds. <laughs> that was a really great documentary. I think it was called De La Soul Isn't Dead. I suggest, like, anybody who's interested in this group to go look it up. So good. So good. And and so crazy to think that this is, like, a truly an Amityville Memorial High School production and group definitely and thinking about it as such really helped me come around to this album because you might not be surprised but there i was it was kind of hard for me to get into this one i had a feeling i know it's a classic but i'm not the biggest 80s hip-hop guy i don't have a lot of exposure to it a lot of it sounds kind of dated to me and i've tried to approach this record before because you know like i've said it's one of the like big hallowed albums of hip-hop if you're into rap music you gotta listen to this album it's widely hailed as one of the best of all time but let's let's face it a lot of times when cultural consensus says this is a landmark a lot of times it's just it's either too dated or it was never very fun to begin with and like it's just really hard to go back and experience it and 80s hip-hop i'm sure a lot of our listeners just have never really exposed themselves to any 80s hip-hop it was so different you guys it was it was these drum machines, often with these endless breaks and, and nothing else uh, uh, happening on the beats. And the, the cadences, the flows were many, oftentimes kind of interchangeable. Well, it's one for the money, two for the time. You know, it's just like. But this isn't that. This is so different from the rest of it's these. It's so hip-hop. different. <laughs> it's so different. It's such a sea change. And like, although occasionally maybe you'll hear some of the the telltale uh, uh, sonics of of 80s hip-hop, these boys were on a whole other trip, potentially, if you buy into my uh, headcanon, potentially literally on a whole other trip. (laughs) Still, I struggled, though, Dylan, until I came across a certain video when I was browsing the internet. I just so happened to stumble upon this video that could have been taken in any high school cafeteria across America, of a couple of like teenage kids going around in a circle during lunchtime and just, you know, freestyling together, like beatboxing and just dropping some rhymes together, having fun. And while I was watching it, I realized, oh, this is really cool. And Three Feet High and Rising is kind of like the most special, unique version of this. Absolutely. When you put on Three Feet High and Rising, you're not listening to a De La Soul album. You're hanging out with De La Soul. Last week, we talked about Viva La Woman by Chibamato, and that what that really felt like to me was a singular piece of like audio art. There, the album was the point. It was two people making an album. Here, the group is what you should be focusing on. I couldn't agree with you more, and, and there's something about the high school vibe of this that is just so witting, that's so charming and so sweet, and also frames the kind of the more sensitive, inward-looking 
socially conscious elements of this album in a whole different light too because like these kids were really they were tapped into something you know they for their ages they they're pulling out a sort of a sort of beyond their years universally tapped in uh vibe which is which is really really impressive under that context of these teenagers getting together to rap you know about something other than their dicks which i think most teenagers would probably rap about if they got together in a group and the boys talk about their dicks here but yeah, there's definitely something deeper going on. Definitely. Really, my favorite thing about looking at this album as a record by a bunch of high schoolers is the kind of sense of camaraderie that becomes like so engrossing when you're just listening to these three and sometimes four guys just trading in jokes back and forth. Totally. But while that's great after you've like spent time with it and immersed yourself in it and you know, until you're part of the group, it makes it it makes for a bit of an inaccessible listen the first couple times around i think because you don't really you're really not in on the jokes and you're not wrong there's there's like a whole glossary of of special references and and weird like uh you know in group slang right so the first like couple times you listen to it you're like what's a what's a what's a lewd in what are these brands they're talking about you know right what's buddy but by the fourth <laughs> or fifth time around you're like oh yeah buddy i get hey it. uh dante's a scrub this is great i love this <laughs> Totally, totally. You know what it is? And it's not sinister like this, but it's a little bit like Clockwork Orange with Alex and his droogs who have this like impenetrable uh, uh, lingo that you have to learn in order to be in, in, in on the joke, kind of, you know? I think that's a really great comparison, yeah. And I think that the, that the other thing I was thinking about a lot this week is the, the, the glut of bloat in hip-hop albums that we're currently experiencing, Trevor. Right, like Migos just dropped like a three-hour-long record. What the fuck? And I mean, yeah, it, everybody seems to be pulling out their, their hour-plus efforts, and this is an hour-plus effort, but I think the, the key difference here is that this was an album that, like, couldn't be reined in as opposed to an album that merely wasn't reined in. Here, I think the length actually serves the the whole experience pretty well, because like I've said, the more you spend time with these guys, the more you're going to enjoy being a part of the group. Yeah, the more colored in all of their personalities are going to feel. And this is a colorful record. Do you want to get to our three words? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, we've already touched on youthful. That's one of mine. Progressive. I don't just mean the politics and the outlook. I mean the sound. They're very progressive. And then joyful. 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 I think that this is a, this is an album that makes me smile and and feel warm and, and feel like I'm a part of something. How about you, Trevor? What you got? I've got positive because, you know, this right. is a really uplifting record, I think. These boys are really just out here to have a good time. And even when they're talking about darker issues, they're kind of contributing stuff that we can think about to make our situations better. Yeah, views you can use, as they say. Right. And despite this record initially coming across to me as a bit inaccessible, I'm going to go with friendly here because, like I said, this record really is just about... Hanging out with the boys, you know? For sure, for sure. You know, the word I almost threw down on here was Daisy. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that. We will talk about that. And then the other one I was even considering uh, uh, including was was feminine, because I think that there's a, there's a feeling that these guys are not afraid to embrace their kind of touchy-feely feminine side. Uh, Which is a bold move for rappers in 1989 and would still yeah. be a bold move today. You got to give them props for that. Especially especially like fresh out of high school teenagers who are ostensibly living in Long Island. Maybe not in the, in the toughest part of it, but still living in Long Island. So my last <laughs> word, and you kind of touched on it earlier, intuitive. 
you know, sure. we know how young the group still is here, but some of their more profound lyrics, and a lot of these lyrics are pretty profound, really give you the sense that they're wise beyond their years. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. They're like really in touch with something. They, like I said, their heads are in a very special place. Yes, but they're, but it's not, this isn't a Talib Kweli album. We're not going to, this isn't homework. <laughs> As I think evidenced by this first track. You ready to get into the, into the tracks, Trevor? Yeah, time for everybody's favorite game show, Three Feet High and Rising. <laughs> Hey, all you kids out there, welcome to Three Feet High and Rising. Now, here's what we do. Okay, so this is credited, Trevor, with inventing the hip-hop skit. Now, uh, as with any of these claims, obviously you're going to find people who oppose this idea and say, well, technically, what about this? But I think the general consensus is that this is the first true skit in hip-hop. And uh, already, (laughs) already it feels like a hip-hop skit, a little bit awkward. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit stumbly, a little bit stilted, I suppose. And it's and it's interesting that this is the first hip hop skit because it's actually one of the last things they recorded for the record. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Based on what I've heard, they've had they had everything wrapped up, but then Prince Paul was like, "We really need something to tie everything together and give this record even a bigger sense of personality." Can I read this quote I have from him here? Yeah, please, please go for it. Prince Paul said. The problem that I have with MCs is you don't know their names. You don't know their personalities, unless you really know the group or they have a lot of publicity. So I was like, yo, why don't we play a game show? Back in those days, in game shows, people would go on and say, hi, my name is something, and I like to do this and that. So I said, this will give you guys the opportunity to say your names so people know who is who when they first listen to the album. And it gives them an idea of what your personality is like. Now, I know why you're laughing. And this goes back to what I was saying about the album being inaccessible. Because Because Prince Paul, God bless him, set them up to introduce themselves to the world. But instead, the boys totally... It was a great idea, Trevor. It was a perfectly good idea. Totally just decide to fuck with everyone. And they, like, don't even really say their names. And they put on fake voices and fake personalities. Yeah, we kind of touched on it when introducing them ourselves. But, like... There's like three different things that each one of them refers to themselves as. So like on some tracks, oh, hey, I'm Plug One. Nah, I'm Paz the Noose. Yo, what's up, Trugoy? The Dove, Plug Three, Dave. Yeah. It's really hard to keep track of who is who initially. Well, and they're all doing silly voices and some of them are really good. I like Trugoy's. I'm going to win all the money. I'm going to win all the money. How you doing, Al? I just came all the way down from Wichita just to be on this show. You know, it's going to be swell, and I want to win all the money. I want to win all the money. See ya. (laughs) But also, doesn't do at all what Prince Paul was hoping it would do. Can we just really quick also single out Maceo, who does what I guess he's attempting as an Australian accent? Uh, that's another that's another highlight on the track yeah he's sort of doing a i guess scottish by way of west african (laughs) bushman voice it's very weird it's not australian and prince paul is just happy to be on the show yeah it seems like prince paul was kind of sighing at the failed experiment (laughs) a little bit a little bit this does kind of become a framing device this game show right so the idea is you've got al watts hosting who was by the way pretty accomplished uh engineer of 1980s hip-hop he worked with EPMD, Queen Latifah. Uh, Prince Paul called him a white guy with the perfect voice. Which is which is definitely true. He sounds like a sort of awkward, you know, uh, what's what's the guy, newlywed game guy? I don't remember his name. Anyway, he sounds like one of those dudes. 
and and then he asks these four really weird questions, like these impossible questions. How many feathers are on a party chicken? How many fibers are intertwined in a shredded wheat biscuit? What does touche at lele poo mean? And how many times did the Batmobile catch a flat? So the third to last one, it's shut the hell up, but each letter, each word is spelled backwards. The rest of them are like, you know, esoteric and impossible. And I guess this is a little dark, but my point of reference was the the voter suppression quizzes they used to give in the South in the Jim Crow times to like keep black people from the polls. They would have these like voter literacy uh, exams that would have these nonsensical questions on them, like how many angels dance on the head of a pin or whatever. I mean, despite how silly this is, this is still a politically conscious album. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if that actually was a point of reference. These boys were paying attention in class and they, they probably were into civics. So wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. But uh, but. Yeah, here they are, I guess. I guess this stands as an introduction to the guy. <laughs> and we'll return to this a couple points through the album, and eventually it concludes the record at the end. But now let's get on to the actual track by track and talk about some of the songs. Uh, you want to talk about the magic number? The first real song on the album and my favorite song on the record. Oh my gosh, hey, welcome to the Handholding Club, because uh, it's also my number one on the record. Three, that's the magic number. Three. It is. It's the magic number three. Somewhere in this hip-hop soul community Was born three, they stub me And that's the magic number this one is so much fun. I like don't even know what my favorite thing about it is. The beat is like really cool. It's got like these little almost music box sounds kind of low in the mix. and I feel like when Trugoy sings mm, When a Daisy Grows in Your Mind I feel like hip-hop in that moment takes a bigger leap forward than it has in the entirety of the 80s so far. <laughs> if there is an album that's going to, you know, push the genre along, it is definitely going to be this one. This flow is so crazy and so unlike any flow happening around him in the music that he was listening to. Where did this come from? Where did this come from? It's, this is like this is like Hendrix doing crazy out there solos that nobody's ever heard before. This is like I love how sing songy a lot of this song is. Like you get a lot of like double Dutch vibes to it almost. This is new sonic ground that's being broken, and it still sounds, you know, contemporary, cool, trippy, interesting. The boys, something happened to the boys. It's tough for me to choose between them. The group I most compare De La Soul to is A Tribe Called Quest, who we'll be talking about later when we get to some Q-Tip stuff. But I think there's kind of a wider divide between the two MCs in that group, Q-Tip and Fife Dog, than there is between uh, Paz and True Guy, at least at this stage in time. Sometimes it's even kind of difficult for me to tell them apart. Like, I think they're on that similar level for me. I think eventually I get to the point where Paz is my favorite member of De La Soul, uh, at this point, I think it's Trugoy. I think Trugoy was just—he just had a little bit more confidence. Paz sounds like he's holding back just a tiny bit. He wants to go there. He wants to get creative, and he does. He—he he, he has some wonderful moments on this record, but he just seems like he's maybe a little shyer, a little bit shyer than 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 Dave was at this point. Uh, he has a lot of good moments on this song, though. Like he comes right out the gate with that difficult preaching his positive news pleasure line, really which good, is great. Really good. I really like casually see, but don't do like the soul, because seeing and doing are actions for monkeys. Yeah. 
And he's the one who first introduces us to the daisy concept here with a tri-camera roll since our music's now set. Fly rhymes are stored on a daisy production. It stands for the inner sound, y'all, and y'all can bet that the action's not a trick, but showing the function. Really nice. And Paz has a really nice singing voice, don't you think? Yeah, I love the um, everybody wants to be a DJ part, everybody wants to be an MC. Which, of course, we, we've already mentioned uh, gets kind of called out on Deltron 3030, which we talked about last season. Yeah, back on Deltron. I do remember mentioning it back on that episode. The whole outro is so amazing. I can't believe it's from 1989. It feels like it could have been on Deltron or something, that, that like very plunderphonics-y sample breakdown towards the end, you know? Anybody in the audience ever got hit by a car? So good! That's so Love good! That. This was 1989. This was 1989, Trevor. One of my favorite parts of the song is this one part of Trugoy's verse that's like, focuses formed by flaunts to the soul, souls who flaunt styles gain praises by pounds, common are speakers who honor the scroll, scrolls written daily creates a new sound. Love it. Listeners listen, cause this here is wisdom, wisdoms of a speaker, a dove and a plug, set aside illegal substances to feed them, for now get them high off this dialect drug. So good. Love it. So good. And, and you know, there is a more of a defined relationship here, I think, where Paz on this record is almost more of the inner looking one. And Trugoy is kind of more of the, the climbing around super charismatic one. I think that that's... He is a little goofier, isn't he, Trugoy? And I think that, you know, that comes from his name being yogurt backwards. <laughs> As opposed to sound slap backwards. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, they're both what they are. What a what an interesting little drop of LSD this song is to, to really get you into the mindset of this record. Uh, and of course, the the it interpolates the three is a magic number is a is a a, a a schoolhouse rock song. Do you think that how what percentage of our listeners even know what schoolhouse rock is? Do you think knowing that we have some younger ones? Uh, if you if you watch Saturday morning cartoons in the nineteen seventies, you would watch these like kind of silly rock and rollified lessons for kids animated called uh, called. Schoolhouse Rock. The most famous one, I think, is Conjunction Junction. Is that the one that people reference still? That and the one about uh, how a bill becomes a law. How a bill becomes a law, of course. Well, I'm only a bill. Anyway, uh, Three is a Magic Number is was one of those. The only reason I know about it is they were still kind of showing these on syndication when I was a kid. Yeah, so. I think I, I caught just the tail end of it. I think probably my like exposure to it was like, I think we probably watched a few clips in school, like, at like a ver- when I was very young back in elementary school, but even then it was at like that time when like the teachers were having to like you know introduce it as well. This is kind of an older cartoon show, so like it wasn't. I wasn't current with it. No, right, right. No, but yeah. it's fun to hear it popping up here because it's like it again. The high school vibe is there, you know. Yeah, the, yep. the playfulness of it, love the energy, and this is a great beat too, in my opinion. Really fun beat, and uh, three feet high and rising. The phrase that keeps coming up, and that you know they named the album after. That's a reference to uh, a Johnny Cash song called Five Feet High and Rising," right? Which they sampled from a record from uh, Trugoy's dad. <laughs> love that. Love that. Yep. Uh, crate digging through your parents' records. Love it. So next we've got change in speed. Okay, so change and speak. So this, uh, Trevor, is where we where we should start talking about, uh, in my opinion anyway, is there a version of this record that's a little tighter, that's a little, that's maybe a little bit more honed in? And where I ultimately came down on it was yes. the, the really early singles that they put on this record drag a little bit. Oh, you don't like this one? I'm a big fan of it. I think it's good. 
but I think something happened to the boys, like right around the time that they tracked uh, uh, Jennifer or something, where both of them found their voices. The 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 beats became a little bit more energetic and like the early singles on here are usually my least favorite things here. It feels like at some point these guys had a really important acid trip and this happened before that acid trip or something. I can kind of see where you're coming from because one, this might be my favorite beat on the album. It's definitely up there. I really like the beat. Cool beat. Two, I really like the flows the boys lay down here. Well, they're doing something interesting, right? Where they're doing all these double up rhymes and then like Trugoy has that one verse where every line ends with steps. Well, the thing is, I really like the flows, but I feel like the lyrics don't quite get there. I feel like if the if the beats and the flows are on like a nine or ten, the lyrics maybe hover around like a seven. So I really like this song, but it's missing. I agree with you. It's missing an element that kind of makes the better songs on this record the real highlights. But still... I'm super into this one. You know what it doesn't have? You know what it doesn't have? It doesn't have Daisy. Doesn't have Daisy. That's it. Doesn't have that Daisy factor. It doesn't have that Daisy factor. That's the problem. Although Trugoy would disagree with you because I found a quote from him saying that this was a declaration about them, like we've landed, we're here, but it wasn't boasting like we're the shit. It was more about letting people know that there's room for a change, and this is what De La Soul are all about. If I look, if I'm a studio guy and I am the and the demo the De La Soul demo tape <clears throat> comes across my my desk and the song's on it, I'm interested. I'm definitely like, who are these guys? What is this? This is interesting. Uh, but just you know, standing it up with everything else on here, these are the songs that I tend to kind of go. I don't know. I'm not sure. This is where I wanted to talk about this thing I've been doing this season, where I've kind of like. I've kind of gotten into this mode where after comparing Leisure to a Slice of Life anime about being in a baggy band <laughs> yeah, and uh, Viva La Woman about being like a weird surreal anime about like strange customs from around the world and French students playing a dangerous game. Sure. I kind of see Three Feet High and Rising as being uh, a soundtrack to an anime about De La Soul being a group of young teenage uh, demon slayers. Oh, love it. With Prince Paul kind of playing like a splinter mentor-esque kind of role, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think this would be great demon fighting music. Oh, it, yeah, I could totally, totally see that. And I feel like there should be some psychedelica, too. Uh, definitely. You know? That would definitely be a part of the show, yeah. Love it, love it. Um, this song is good, but if I if I had to make my little pared-down version of it, I might drop it. I'm not sure. I have a pared-down version of this album that we'll walk through at the end of the show, so I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Next, we've got a, a, one, of the, uh, one of the next skits, Cool Breeze on the Rocks. <laughs> cool Breeze. Rock that shit, homie. Light as a rock. So this is Maceo's, like, weird edit suite, right? This is, this is Maceo on the console doing whatever he wants to do. And what he wants to do here is kind of splice in a bunch of samples that feature the word rock. Yeah, this does this sounds like a teenager fucking around on a console. It doesn't sound Yeah, this definitely would not make my final cut no, of the album. No. Uh it kind of sounds like uh here's a weird pull. It kind of sounds like an old novelty song from the 1970s called Mr. Jaws. I won't I won't even go into it deeper than that, but if you want to like Listen to what in 1978 was actually a top 10 single in the United States. You should YouTube Mr. Jaws and then weep for your parents' generation for being the worst. <laughs> Can't say I'm familiar with it. Uh, whatever. This is whatever. I'm glad that Maceo had his little moment to shine. Yeah, it's nice that they let him have it, even though I wouldn't have. See, but then let's talk about let's talk about Can You Keep a Secret, though, because I, I fucking love this. 
I really like this one a lot. This is a, this skit is a keeper. This is the true spirit of experimentation, and it makes the album feel like a weird Technicolor monster. You know, like everybody in the world, you have dandruff. <laughs> Who's whispering on this track? They, Who they're is trading that? off? They're trading off. They're trading off. Really? Okay, interesting. Yeah, uh, it's hard to tell because you know there's no you're not using your vocal cords when you whisper, but yeah. And they're saying uh, each member of the band's name too. Yeah. And I think sometimes they're saying it for themselves and sometimes they're saying it for each other. Yeah. Yeah. This is why the album is so hard to turn into a tight little best of Trevor, because it, this is, this is a white album track. This is wild honey pie where maybe, maybe it's not on the tightest, you know, most commercial version of it, but it's adding something that's so cool and so weird and different. I think this track is kind of essential to the record. And my favorite part about it is that shout out to Dante Ross, Dante the Scrub. Dante is a scrub. Do you want to do you want to go into who he is? Yeah, sure. Hang on one second. I actually have a little bit about him in uh, in my notes here. Dante Dante Ross was he was like an A&R guy from their record Tommy Boy Records. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, and I believe that he's he's like got so many honorifics. Like he everybody's done a huge profile about this guy. He's like Queen Latifah, Digital Underground, what? Uh, Camdy, Busta Rhymes, Old Dirty Bastard. <laughs> like he signed a lot of hip hop. Uh, there was that you linked me to that documentary uh that had a bit of him in it and he talked about how like back in those days he would walk into his office usually like hung over carrying a firearm and like during the day he would like probably sell a little bit of weed to people coming into his office and like (laughs) try and follow up with like girls he was hitting on drunk the night before and every now and then kind of listen to a demo yeah and he was he got his job when the head of that record label whose name i think was uh monica something right yeah uh this this really cool lady who kind of was one of the, one of the first people to get a hold of their demo tape and be like, okay, let's make sure these boys get an album. And she brought she brought in Dante for a job interview and she played him a selection from Three Feet High and Rising. Yes. And she's like, what do you think of this? And he's like, that sounds great. I would sign them. And that's how he got the job. And he was one of his first gigs was getting assigned to kind of overlook De La Soul. So here's my headcanon about Dante Ross. I think that he met with the boys, listened to their demo, and said, you know what you guys need is to try LSD. <laughs> it's totally possible. That's my headcanon about what happened to, to De La Sola and to Hip Hop at Large. Before I got that image of him that like that documentary gave me, I pictured him as such like a nerdier kind of dude. No, but he's like, like a that's skid. How they... He looks like a total skid. I, I know, yeah, but like... I. I there's a, I have a quote from Prince Paul that says, as far as those bits about Dante Ross, I have nothing bad to say about the man. If I knew how cool Dante was, we probably wouldn't have gone so negatively about him on the album. Yeah, Dante the Scrub, that's Dante Ross. We called him that because he was someone from the label to come and spy on us. Good dude. <laughs> now, I'm super cool with Dante, 
But at the time, we just felt like he was part of the establishment, someone who was out to get us. Like, eh, you're with the label. Right. And there's a drawing of Dante in the liner notes as a cartoon duck wearing sneakers and holding a record. That's his De La Soul. <laughs> and he has a little word balloon that says, De La, this material is great. My superior Monica is pleased. <laughs> But I have a headcanon about this song where, like, he shows up to one of the recording sessions uh-huh. and, like, he, he I picture him coming around to check on their progress and the boys being like, oh, yeah, hey, Dante, we're, uh, we're actually about to jump in the booth right now and record this hot new song we came up with. Why don't you stay and watch? <laughs> and then they do this. And, like, I can totally picture Dante slowly realizing they're fucking with him. And I've always thought that was him at the end of the record telling them that they wouldn't be getting a haircut. Yeah, like, definitely. De La, Soul, De La Soul seems like the kind of kids to try and get their record label to pay for their haircuts. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And they did have distinct hair things going on at the time. Uh, is this the first reference to Ludens on the uh, on the record? I believe it is. I, I think there's, there's what, two or three on the entire album? But yeah, this is the first one. Yeah, it was a brand of cough drop mm-hmm. that apparently mm-hmm. That's they... something I had to look up because I had no idea what they were saying. Right. Uh, it, apparently, they, they were in a lot of rotation among the boys because they like to reference them a lot. You got to keep uh, your throat <laughs> feeling fresh after doing all those all those verses, you know? Yeah, definitely. Especially like on later De La albums when they would do like whole... Whole verses sometimes where they're screaming like they're on fire. Um, Okay, let's talk about Jennifer Taught Me, parentheses, Derwin's Revenge. Derwin's Revenge. Top three. I love this. I love this. I love this. Really? Not one of my favorites on the album. This one was always one that kind of turned me away before. Access to her code. Love struck. Was my mode? Took a look, dropped my textbook, Jennifer. Oh! Now I enjoy it, but it it's still kind of low tier for me. This is like to me. This is a this is a, a the best version of True Goy on the record in a way with the the kind of clowning that could almost ver- like spill over into being nasty or or sexist or something, but instead just like feels very innocent and very fun. Uh, it starts with this really shrill like scratching from Maceo and, and it's got this like really stilted start and stop sample and then the beat drops and it all starts kind of making sense. And I gotta say, for a bunch of barely out of high school kids like rapping about a girl that they want to fuck, it's really not that disgusting. It could have been so much more disgusting than it is. No, it's very tasteful. We were talking about uh, other sides to this coin, and the the record I've always seen as being the opposite to this record is one that would come out a couple years later, and on the opposite coast, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And that's a much... That record gets a lot... That record gets uglier than this one does. So much more, so much more. I tell you, I'd never even made that connection, but that's really apt. Here they kind of play it not exactly clean, because there's some stuff later on in the album, but this one... It's strictly like PG rated. This is kind of like a soft core version of that. Like the most explicit slut shaming on this song is really charming and funny, which is when <laughs> winning is. Uh, in fact, she teased so many, she was known as a garden tool. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My favorite Dude. parts of this song are when Trugoy goes, schwang a schwang a schwang. <laughs> and how completely like phoned in and emotionless those O's feel, like Jennifer O. Jenny. Oh, like love they, it. like they're barely doing it. And the sample work on this one is really nuts. There's some bonkers stuff going on. Come here. on. The Derwin interlude is so good. It comes out. A now, l- wait a minute. <laughs> Little Derwin got something to show us that Jenny can never do. Listen. 
Hey, look at little Darwin. Look at him go. Look at him go. I love how I love how hard they sell it. Derwin shows up for his revenge, which is to play chopsticks on the piano, and then in the background, hey, look at little Derwin! Look at him go! Look at him go! Look at him go! Look at him go! And I like I like True Goes. No, wait a minute! Like yeah. he's doing an Isley Brothers impression. <laughs> this is just like this is just joy to me. I feel so much joy here, and I actually do like the 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 kind of b boy drum sample that they're using here too. Uh, I don't know, just fun. They sound like the group. They sound like the guys, and uh, they sound so high school. And and it's just, it's it's very charming to me. I really love this. It's probably number three on the album for me, but it's in my top three for sure. Derwin is apparently named after a friend of theirs that uh, was very unlucky with the ladies. It's a great name for an, for a, for an awkward nerd character, Derwin. They said he loved the song because it put him on the map. <laughs> Way to go, Derwin! Getting on the map. <laughs> So next we've got one of my top three, Ghetto Thang. That's a fib. She had two twins, though, and one crib. Now she's only 14. What a start. But this effect is ground common in these parts. Okay. Okay. Now, see, even this is making some real inroads, in my opinion, to finding new cadences, new flows for this genre with that interesting, like, that interesting flow that they're doing for basically the whole song is so cool and so different. Maybe the least uplifting song on the record, maybe. It's definitely the most politically conscious, and it's the realest, I think, you know? There's some really good teen poetry here. Like, I love Paz's uh, line, uh, uh, do people really wish when they blow out the cake candles, and if so, is it for the sunken truth which could arise from out the characters in which the ghetto hides? My favorite pause line here is standing in the rain is nothing felt when problems hold more value but never dealt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th- but Trugoy, I think he's the MVP on this one. Like he gets off so many great lines. I really love which is the one to blame when bullets blow, either Peter, Jane, or John or Doe. But Joe can't shoot a gun. He's always drunk. And Peter's pimping Jane and John's a punk. See, even now, even if you do a straight read of these lyrics, that cadence is so interesting, isn't it? It's very punchy. Nobody was doing that back then man just like everybody was wrapping around that same fucking flow even slick rick who was like considered to be the best flower in the game was doing some version of the the straight spoony d fucking uh, uh flow so it's just like little moments like this on this record are just like fuck this was such a, a, a lurch forward for this whole genre this record was and that's easy to get lost, you know, listening to this album in 2018. Absolutely, because a lot of these tricks are things that we hear all the time now. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. My favorite part of this song, though, is uh, when Trugoy kind of digs a little deeper with this uh, part of his verse that goes, Ghetto gained a ghetto name from ghetto ways. Now there could be some ghetto gangs and ghetto play. If ghetto thang can have its way in ghetto range, then there must be some ghetto love and ghetto change. Interesting. Like, part of, part of his half of the song is about how, like, yeah, some some messed up stuff goes on in these parts of the country but one these aren't where all the problems are coming from and two we can still kind of change this and make this into you know 
a healthier place to live. And also that there's, there is positivity and there is love in the ghetto that you're just not looking at, you're not seeing. This is really nice, and this is this is a perfect example of like tapping into some kind of a consciousness, tapping into something that's quite beyond their years. You know? Can I talk more about anime for a second and a kind of other yeah, of course, inroad of that I found to this album that kind of helped me appreciate it? Please. I, I linked you to this on Facebook like a week ago. It's a clip from... Oh, yeah, I watched cool, it. Cool, clip from that uh, new anime on Netflix, Devilman Crybaby. Yeah. Some of the best characters in the show are these like kind of like young like rappers that live in like a bad neighborhood in Japan. But instead of getting into like guns and drugs and violence, they just kind of all hang out together and rap about their situations and like escaping from their lives and stuff like that. Right, right. And so like rewatching those scenes after kind of starting to get into De La Soul, I was like, oh, this is De La Soul. Like these are these are these kids. Yeah. And I think that would definitely be an important part of the De La Soul Demon Slayer anime. I feel that. And when you linked me that little clip from it, I, I, I felt like I was like... 65% of the way there already kind of understanding where your brain was going with that. Nice, nice. This is also the beat. Great demon fighting music. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. I like this beat, too. I like the uh, it's just a ghetto thing. Word. <laughs> you want to talk about uh, transmitting live from Mars? Sure, because this is a deceptively important song on the record's history. Yeah. Uh, is there? Do you know something that I don't? I just think it's interesting that like this is a plunderphonic song in 1989. I just think that... It's fascinating to me that this could have been on a, a Jay Dilla or a or a, a DJ Shadow record and nobody would have batted an eye, but instead we're at the end of the 80s and it's Prince Paul and Maisie o doing something so interesting, which is to take this uh, like year one old French LP, which I personally imagined them going back to Amityville High School and, and borrowing it from their French teacher uh, to put it on their record and, and kind of build the song out of it. Well, were they sampling a French record or were they sampling a Turtles song? Because this is the song that famously got them sued by the Turtles for a... Like, okay, well, yes. This is, a, this is the... Speak French stuff is its own thing, but all the music that's happening is, yeah, from this, from this, uh, from this Turtles track, and this was a big, high-profile... Uh, uh, lawsuit because the, the the rules weren't clear yet yeah, about this stuff trevor yeah. well they kind of were because if you look at that if you look in those documentaries that you link me to there's some clear like clips of them saying like of them preparing to sample some stuff and they clearly say make sure you pick something that where you don't get sued yeah i mean they, they it there was some buzzing about it but i mean we mentioned paul's boutique earlier paul's boutique Famously has uncleared Beatles samples on it. It was a very pretty wild. very different time. A very different time. Uh, and yeah, the Turtles decided that uh, that they weren't okay with it. In fact, uh, here's a little bit of, uh, of potentially uh, libelous uh, information for you. My mom went to school, to high school, with the daughter of the drummer of the Turtles. And he uh, beat her and his wife relentlessly. Yikes. So, fuck them. Fuck the turtles. <laughs> so happy together, my ass. But yeah, the, the turtles heard this. They uh, The turtles heard this. They sued for $2.5 million, but eventually they reached an out-of-court settlement for $1.7 million. And uh, I found some math done on this. Turns out De La Soul paid $141,666 per second of the sample to the turtles. Ugh. Nasty. And like you said, the French dialogue, that comes from an audio learning program cassette. 
And it features a man and a woman having a short conversation titled At Midday Concerning Lunch with phrases such as, what is there to eat? And there is a sausage, probably. <laughs> I do like to imagine them going back to Amityville and saying, uh, hey, hey, Mr. LaFlons, can I can I borrow that record for you for an afternoon? <laughs> Taking it to the studio. That's what I like to imagine anyway. That is fun. Next up, we've got I Know. This one was a single. Greetings, girl, and welcome to my world of phrasing right up to bat. It's the daisy age, and you're about to walk top stage, so wipe your lottoes on the mat. Huge single. Um, probably the second, like, most played track on this album. Uh, finally, Trevor, finally, after more than a decade in its, into its existence, hip-hop finally figures out how to use Steely Dan. Is this in your top three? I was kind of expecting it to be. You're, you're a big Steely Dan guy. I love Steely Dan, and I and they're using Peg, quite a bit of, of uh, the, the song, uh, and I love it. I love it. I, I think it's great. I think maybe the best pause line on the album so far when he says, uh, uh, hold my hand and we'll pick my plantation. Uh, of daisies for a bouquet of soul. That's so solid. It's I love that it's working with the hippie imagery, but it's also weaving like slavery and Black history in there. That's great. Yeah, that is that is pretty cool. That's fucking great. I I really love the Steely Dan sample on this one, but even more, I like those horns that show up in the chorus. And I think I think those are from uh, the Mad Lads. Make this young lady mine. That's the same place where they got the guitar too. I think. That's right. Yeah. I really like how all the verses end in a way that lets that little peg sample finish the sentence. The best one is pause the second verse when he goes. Uh, I show this in gifts, words, and letters, but even without those three, I know you'll be close to me. I know I love, love you better. better. Great. It's really good. Yeah, this is a this is a really tightly pulled off song. I like it a lot. And it's a, kind of a song about, you know, being a gentleman and having like a real connection with a person. It's very sweet. Yeah, it's kind of like a non-sexual version of uh, Electric Relaxation by A Tribe Called Quest, which would come out a couple years later. Oh, hey, that's a really, that's a yeah, really yeah. good connection. How do you like the Otis Redding whistling sample? Uh, not my favorite element of the of the <laughs> the sonics of this thing. Um, I like it. I don't like that they play it over parts of the verses. I think it would be really cool as just like an outro to the song, but in some other parts it kind of gets in the way. Yeah, or maybe after the horn somewhere. Yeah, I, I feel that this is great though, and and I understand why it's an important song because I think that there was not really a lot of love songs in hip hop at this point. That's true. That's you you got to think about this in, in its context, like just how crazy and out there this record was. Uh, it's very sweet. It's very sweet. True Goy gets a little reference back to the magic number when he says, this time the magic number is two because it takes two, not three to seduce. Oh, yeah. And then doesn't he also mention Jenny again? And like he, he, does, he does a few really cool little uh, references to earlier cuts on the album. Very creative. Very fun. Jenny comes up quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny's like a like a almost a theme or a motif or something definitely so next we've got another uh back-to-back two skits in a row we've got take it off go 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 yeah which is which starts with some really great studio chatter where where i believe it's true like smell, smell your breath and then pause goes you smell like jabba <laughs> That take it off is an exercise in what little I know about late early, late eighties urban fashion, Trevor. Yeah, and this song seems to kind of be about you know casting off brands and like those kind of identity signifiers, just being yourself, maybe. But not only just because you know you need to be true to yourself, but also because it kind of looks bad. 
here's the here's the the brands and and items of clothing mentioned that I don't know what they are still. Uh, suede front, horse meat, shell toes, track fleas, moth neck, BVD, gazelles, kangol, jordan, and latigris. I don't know what those are. I'm sorry. Take those acid wash jeans, bell bottom, designed by your mama, off, please. <laughs> this is another example of what I call like the white album tracks on these. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. where this is like this is like really fun and really cool and. And yes, maybe not super important to the record, but I but I'm happy that it's here. If know? I had to make a short version of this album, this wouldn't be on there, right? If I had to make a medium version where I was allowed to have a couple skits, I would definitely consider keeping this one on there. Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel too. Feels kind of important. What about a little bit of soap, which is which is a, I guess you would call it a skit, right? Yeah, um, this one I I like on its own, but putting two skits back to back feels kind of excessive. And if I had to keep one, it would be take it off. Yeah, this is kind of an example of you can you can kind of imagine the the conversations that led to this being on the record. It seems like Paz wrote like a fun weird verse about a person who smells really bad. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it probably petered out, and they're like, "Well, we can't really make a song out of this, so let's get rid of it." And then Prince Paul would have been like, "No, no, 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 we can use this. We can use this." And they 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 figured out something to do with it, you know? Yeah, and and it's okay, but like I said, out of all the skits, this one feels like one of the least essential. It's a pretty good verse. It's a funny verse. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It has a good. I like the punchline. Yeah, yeah. When they get to the when they get to the title lyric. Okay, let's talk about uh, number two on the album for me. Really? Yeah. Tread water. One of us has a baby in their That's life true. Now. That's true. And is thinking a lot about how to introduce them to hip-hop music as they grow older. And what better way than a song about learning and teaching valuable lessons to talking animals? Yes! Yes! Love it! This is track one on the new playlist I'll make of of how to introduce Ramona to hip-hop. Uh, there's There was just... There's still not really a lot like this. There is some kind of, like, you know family friendly ish hip hop out there but it's got a really good message too kind of about like facing up to a little bit of your fear so that fear can't rule your life in a way um, mm-hmm. and, and like as silly as the whole you know Mr. Squirrel and Mr. Fish thing is like when Trugoy says always look to the positive and never drop your head for the water will engulf us all if we do not dare to tread that's like I, I that makes me makes me well up a little bit that's so that's such a good thought like, it's very good it's very good I can totally see this being four year old Ramona's jam in the future I love this I like that a lot I'm gonna read my the note I took on this one verbatim yeah I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of Dylan's favorites but I've never <laughs> been too big on it maybe it's a little too whimsical for me I still it like it whimsical. but if I were to start trimming some songs on this album this would definitely be one of the first to go. Maybe even before Derwin's Revenge. <laughs> Another of my top three. <laughs> yep. Great. I love this, though. I think it's really sweet. And, and, uh, uh, and you know, 
It's not just. It's not even that it's goofy. I think it's got a good message. I think it's got a really good message. I like uh, when Paz goes from my soul, de la. That is. Yeah, that's great. Also, yeah. uh, potholes in my lawn. Yo, something's wrong here. No, not again. Get the daisies for the potholes in my lawn. I dig this one a lot. I think this one's a lot of fun. Yeah. This is a song about other rappers biting De La Soul's lyrics and style. I don't, you know what, actually, I, I, I can't quite go with you on I really like this a lot. This is definitely what I would uh, term a pre-acid trip one. This is one of the first De La singles. Um, I, it's a little bit unclear if this was actually recorded before or after Plug Tunin, although they, they talk about it. Right, they, they reference some lyrics from Plug Tunin. But it seems like the actual Plug Tunin session might have been after this. It's a little unclear. Well, there's two Plug Tunins. There's the, what, 12-inch version, and then there's the, the album 12 version. Inch the, yeah, the I always assume there was, like, the original Plug Tunin, then there was Pottles on My Lawn, and then maybe there was the album Plug Tunin. I just don't know if the whole other rappers are biting my style vibe, if that feels not very Daisy to me. Like, there's something about him calling a rapper a sucker that feels not Daisy to me. I see what you mean, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, from another perspective, De La Soul are very individual, unique people. And at the same time, I kind of, I can see them, you know, not wanting a kind of more watered down version of that to right. take their place. Good, great lyrics, though. I love all of the weird illusions, and already it feels like they're they're speaking their own language. Uh, even if even I think Trugoy even sounds a little bit less like himself here than he does elsewhere on the record. Like they, I still think that this has a lot going for it. But uh, but I don't know. I just there's something about the the there's something about the tone of it that feels maybe like they were emulating the music around them a little bit more than they are on the rest of the album, rather than just totally being themselves. I'm not sure. I can kind of see where you're coming from. I'm not just, sure. But the flows on this one are so much fun for me. Like I love when Trugoy goes that goes for my rhyme sheet, which I concentrated so hard on. See, that's great. Is <laughs> dwelling is swelling. And Paz's verse is great, too. It's it's not wise to leave my garden untended because eyes. <laughs> and then and then the outro is just so much fun, too. It's like uh, with all the guys saying the name of the song. Like, yo, Prince Paul, what are you producing? Potholes in my lawn. What are you rabbing over? Potholes in my lawn. <laughs> like, I like that a lot. And I like the imagery of potholes in my lawn as if, as if like, you know, all these all these other rappers in their life have, are literally coming over and like digging the daisies out of their out of their lawn. Definitely. So next we've got the uh, third demon fighting soundtrack song on the record for me. Interesting. Say no go. Uh, okay, yeah. So finally, more than a decade into his existence as a genre, Trevor, finally, hip hop figures out how to use hollow notes. <laughs> And it's to make an anti-drug song. Does this mean we get to review my best of Hollow Notes CD that I bought during our live episode? This is a good time to check in on that. Have you cracked it open yet? I have. Uh, my phone died while I was driving uh, to Eugene, and I took it out of the, the cellophane, and I put it into my uh, CD player, and it said, discreet error. Mm. <laughs> I guess your I guess your car CD player couldn't go for that. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, um, this beat explodes out of the intro. Though I love this beat. This beat sounds like Kung Fu fighting to me. 
How about this first, this opening pause verse about this crackhead mom and her her baby born addicted to crack? It's so dark, and also I think maybe his best moment on the album. I love it. Uh, let's get right down to the skit. A baby is born into a world of pits, and if it could have talked that soon in the delivery room, it would have asked the nurse for a hit. The reason for this, the mother's a jerk. Yikes. That's so good. That's some storytelling, man. That's storytelling. Yeah. And uh, Trugoy gets off a great lyric, kind of that kind of throws back to that later, I think, where he goes, I heard shoving is worse than pushing, but I'd rather know a shover than a pusher because a pusher's a jerk. Great. Great. See, the difference here is, like, the the like NWA did some of this stuff where they would, like, act like investigative journalists who are reporting on things that they see in the ghetto. But Dela's not investigative journalists. They're like op-ed writers. They're making moral judgments here. They're saying they're 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 crying out. They're crying foul and they're pointing fingers. There's something that's this is Daisy, even though it's dark. It's very Daisy, in my opinion. They're trying to push the culture forward. Love it, love it, love pause on this song especially. I think it's I think it's his his most fully realized moment on the record so far. Which one of them is talking about going to jail and then they go, dum da dum dum Is that positive? <laughs> is that? I think it might be Dave. I'm not sure. But yeah, again, great demon fighting soundtrack, especially when the song goes, uh, you've got my body, but you want my soul. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really good. Yeah. Um, We've got another skit after this one, Do As Dayla Does. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is so clowning, but I do love how uh, how Basio finally gets to like come back on the record here. I do like that a little bit. Yeah, uh, the guy who's doing the Rodney Dangerfield impression <clears throat> at the end is named Pop Master Height. I couldn't really find a lot about him though. I don't know who he is. Is that a Rodney? I don't think that's a Rodney Dangerfield impression. I think that's more like some kind of like lunkhead Italian impression. I think it's a really bad Rodney Dangerfield. I'm pretty sure Rodney Dangerfield wasn't Italian. No, was I know, he? but. I think I think this guy is doing his best and not doing so great. Hey, De La Soul, you fucking lasagna heads. It's uh, better than my mama's lasagna. Hey, hey, come on. <laughs> well, maybe he's not going for Rodney, but he's landing near Rodney. I like I like when they go, if you like to drink some soda, everybody say Coca-Cola. I always say Coca-Cola because I like to drink soda. If you like to drink some soda. Yeah, so that's good. I have I have some with me now. Last chance to comprehend. The first time around, you didn't quite understand how Mustafa to speak. Don't worry, we can fix that right now. So why don't you all just grab your bag? Come on board, hoist the anchor. We'll be off. Um, plug tuning is the next one. The first day last little single, pre acid trip. This is the song that made uh, this made this is the song that made Prince Paul want to produce these guys. Answering any offer service, prerogative, phrase positively, I'm acquitted. Enemies publicly shame my utility. After the battle, then riches, I'm winning. I like this one a lot. The intro is really cool. The first time around, you didn't quite understand our new style of speak. Don't worry, we can fix that right now. Why don't you all just grab your bags, come on aboard, hoist the anchor, and we'll be off. And good luck to both of you. I like this song more later than I like it here. Okay, are you talking about the uh, other version of the song that closes off the record? Yes. The, there's differences, but I but I also just think I like it better at the end of the record than I like it here. Um, answering any other service, prerogative, praise, positively, I'm acquitted. That's like, you can, you can absolutely understand why this song was so important 
to getting De La Soul into people's offices. The second half of that lyric is one of my favorites too. Enemies publicly shame my ability. After the battle, they admit that I'm with it. There's no doubt that plug tuning is like an incredibly historically significant uh, De La Soul cut. Like in addition to getting Prince Paul fully on board, everybody who who signed them says that the song was a big moment for them and like on alternative hip hop radio it was a big single um but again the messaging here is very daisy but i don't think it possesses that titular inner sound if that makes sense i feel like it's pre-acid trip it's pre-acid trip i think i think maybe the i think maybe de la soul's performance on it is but the beat is so deep and dark and cerebral i I Great really beat. think it. Great beat. It definitely belongs on the album. You know, I think this one's really good. I think I like it more later, just in where it should be on the album sequence. I like Plug Tunin as a song that appears in the middle of the record and then shows up again at the very end in that kind of bonus track slot after things happen. That's true. I, I, that, there's something cool about that, too. I agree. It works well as a reprise later on. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so this next song, Dylan. Leisure, Leisure, of course, had a had a had a song in the middle, very polarizing. <laughs> we both kind of ended up coming down on opposite sides of it. Made it into your top three. I wasn't into it. I'm talking, of course, about Sing. Chiba Mato's Viva Woman had a big polarizing song in the middle of it. You came down a little negative. I put it in my top three. Talking about the. Right. I want to see yeah. if this this skit turns out to be. The big point of contention on the record. Tell me, Dylan, now. I've been waiting two weeks to know. Uh-huh. Is De La Orgy in your top three on Three Feet Iron Rising? This is a De La Orgy. No, no. Mine no, neither, you know? <laughs> Finally, we agree on something. On the album that, that purportedly invented the hip-hop skit, we have already entered into one of its most enduring traditions, the sounds of people badly pretending to fuck each other. Right. This would show up uh, on other records like, um, I think Ready to Die had one of these. Yeah. 2001 had Pause for Porno. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? The VIP here, though, is Q-Tip. <laughs> because uh, if you're if you're aware, Q-Tip, of course, is like one of the dominant personalities of one of the greatest hip-hop groups of all time, a tribe called Quest. At this point, he was a member of another group called uh, Native Tongues. Um, and I feel like he really finds some... He really finds his place here at the end when he starts doing his whole, you like Jimmy? Tell me you like Jimmy. Speak to Jimmy. <laughs> this is silly. It's silly. And obviously, it's 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 designed to kind of like be a lead into this next I suppose proper song buddy hello meeny 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 I love I love the intro with True Going Cute the meeny 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 say what there's a really good intro to the video version too with Prince Paul doing a quick voiceover where he goes Peace. Prince Paul is the name, and I'm here to break down the definition of buddy. Buddy doesn't mean girl, or sex for that matter. Buddy simply means body. Bodies of all kinds. See, now, I don't know if you had the same read on this song as I did, 
I believe that this is absolutely the homoerotic peak of the album. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, for one, it's a bunch of men talking about sex together, which is which is its own thing. But it is, let's say, Q-Tip. Q-Tip shows up here from a tribe called Quest. Right. And we've also got the Jungle Brothers on this track, who I'm not as familiar with. They're, they're, they were also members of the Native Tongues um, with, with Q-Tip. I do like when they say the levels are straight out the jungle. Then they go, the brothers, the brothers. Yeah, that's fine. Africa is, like I think, the weakest of them. But uh, but uh, the other guy, what's his name, Mike? Uh, he's good. So this is De La Soul, Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest, and the Jungle Brothers kind of just going around and just talking about getting laid. Yeah, and uh, their euphemism for desirable bodies, or at least bodies in a sexual uh, context, is buddy, which is a very masculine word. Uh, and then... What about when Q-Tip says we're like Ethel Mertz and Lucille McGillicuddy, which already already is like a same-sex pairing, and then he says, "I can be your buddy." It feels like it feels he's the closest to to just like directly putting it out there that this is a song about all these gentlemen fucking each other. I think, which is weird because, and I hate to bring this up because I'm such a fan of Q-Tip, and I'm sure this like you know isn't a part of him anymore. But back in the early days of Tribe Called Quest. There's like one of their, they have this one song that didn't make it on any of their records, but it's super homophobic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's so homophobic that they, their label wouldn't put it on the record. I can't remember what it's called or whether it was for Midnight Marauders or Low End Theory, but I just know Cusip was saying some pretty, pretty hateful stuff about gay people on that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's an uncomfortable piece of hip hop's history, and uh, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, yeah. But Q-Tip is, is is everything you want him to be on this track, at least. He's very funny. He's got a slightly nasally, high-pitched voice. Uh, and He's one of the most like charismatic rappers in early hip-hop, I think. Definitely oh, one of my favorites. for sure. I love A Tribe Called Quest. They're a very important group to me. You can almost pick them up and drop them into any era of hip-hop, and they'll feel exciting and fresh and innovative. Which is why that last album they put out like two years ago was such a success. It was so good. It was so great. Yeah. And Q-Tip's yeah, great. Timeless. Did you listen to the single version of this song, which is like seven minutes and has a completely different beat? <laughs> no, I didn't even know such a thing existed. Oh yeah, it's like it's got like a high energy kind of house beat almost. For the most part, it's the same verses, but like parts of them are re-recorded. Queen Latifah okay. shows up on it. She actually does oh. the um, uh, the yeah, that's kind of clever part after Q-Tip says "Kissing Cousins" or whatever. Sure, sure. Fife Dog is on it, but I think he got cut from the video. But it's it's cool. It's not as it doesn't feel as kind of like as much of an intimate hangout as the album version does, and that's why I like the album version a little more. And, and seven minutes has me bristling a little because I would say even this one's maybe a minute too long. I mean, it's I do like it though. It's like the problem is is that since everybody's taking turns, it feels like nobody's really building off of each other. Uh, yeah, and the turns are taken very quickly. But again, this was this song reminds me more than almost anything else here of like that video I stumbled across of like just high schoolers and like their high school cafeteria definitely. like trading verses back and forth and that's why like this one's pretty high up in the rankings for me. I would like it a lot more if it wasn't about sex. And the and the idea of buddy being this like genderless word for sexual sexuality and bodies is also very daisy. And I say the song is very daisy in its own weird, ridiculous, somewhat crude way. Do you think De La Soul got laid a lot? No, not in high school. <laughs> like, they were big nerds, weren't they? In high school, I don't think so. I, I would imagine that because that they were, like, smart and funny, they probably had, like, a steady girlfriend or two. I could see that. I could see I that. I could picture that. But I don't think that they were, like, I don't think that they were men about yeah. campus. <laughs> 
oh, hey, guess what? I fucked Trugoy last weekend. <laughs> Ooh, girl, so lucky. Tell me the details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had sex with yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> that shit didn't happen. That's some shit that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I think I think De La Orgy and Buddy and this, and this next track, Description, all kind of form like a nice little arc. Yeah, yeah, and this... I really like Description. This one's fun. It's kind of a skit. It is kind of a skit. But it's just... it's it, Each of the members is doing a quick rap in limerick form. I am true goy. A dove like boy. Could wing spread, but instead, I will employ... This almost sounds like it could have been recorded during the acid trip that changed De La Soul. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. My, my favorites is, uh, pause is my favorite here. I am plug one. I'm 19 years young. I love peace. Well, at least I think we need some. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, amazing that we actually get a cameo here, by the way, from China and Jet, the De La Soul backup dancers. The band's Flower Girls. They used to come on stage with them when they performed live, and they would they would throw out daisies from baskets, and they would also hold up cue cards with lyrics written on them, kind of like Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues uh, music video, which, you know, got more hippie comparisons. Yeah, definitely. It's fun to hear them because they're they're like a, a piece of De La Soul history that's not quite as well documented yeah. and so great that they that they exist in their 1989 form on this record. Yeah, it's cool know? that they're here. They sound like they maybe needed to be coached on how to wrap around this weird flow, but they do a good job. Yeah. Next, we've got my number two song on the record and the big single, Me, Myself, and I. You must have watched the video. Did you watch the video? You must love this video because it's literally De La Soul in high school, like being bullied and being silly and. Oh yeah, it is great. They're in like detention and stuff like that. I the the videos, it's perfect. It's very representative of where these boys were in their lives. Yeah, it's visually, it's the album in its own. It's great, and I mean, great beat, great hook. Excellent music video. Iconic opening line from True Guy. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Great. Uh, this, to me, I love this song. It's not top three. It's definitely up there. But it almost feels like a, like a conscious attempt like on the group and maybe Prince Paul to try to, to try to make like a clean, packageable, digestible version of Daisy for the radio. Like, can we make a version of this where you'll get it even if you don't speak the language? Is my is my take on it. You know? Totally. And, you know, this is a song all about kind of letting labels that other people want to attach to you just kind of slide off and defining yourself as nothing but, you know, who you really are and that sense of individuality. You must love when Q-Tip shows up for literally three words. Oh, my God. It's my favorite part of the song. I point at <laughs> Q-Tip and Tip says, black is black. I love that. Like, it's so good. Black is black. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> He's there for three words. It's great. I was trying to think of other moments in hip-hop that are like that. I, I, I guess kind of like 
Dre's little little moment on Hi My Name Is when he's like, Slim Shady, you a bass head, you know? Definitely that one. <laughs> yeah, but that's so much fun that they just bothered, you know? It was so much fun to, to for him to just show up. It, and- it feels like Q-Tip showed up for like a string of four songs in the back half, and he just kind of has to hang out, and then at one point he leaves. Yeah. Like, he's almost like... He's almost like that character in, like, the 80s sitcom that's just always over the house for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And then afterwards, he was such, like, a fan favorite, he got his own spinoff show, A Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Or if you picture all of them going to high school together, they're like, hey, you should come over to the house later. We're going to smoke some weed and make an album. Yeah. And Q-Tip shows up at one point. He's like, cool, I'll jump on this. And he's like, all right, well, I'm bored. <laughs> but it's it's so much fun having him on here, you know? Like, he's like a friend of a friend that, like, yeah, when you hang out with your friends, you're always kind of hoping he's there, too. What do you think about the hippie label applying it to these boys at this time? Like, do you think that, that they're right to reject it, or do you think it's maybe a little bit more accurate than they're willing to admit? I... I, I have a quote from Paz about the hippie label that I wanted to read that I think I, I totally side with him here. He says, We don't really mind people calling us hippies and what we do hippie music because we know the media needs to attach a title so they can work on it from there. <laughs> it's not an act of us sitting down and saying we're going to have that kind of image so that people will pay attention to what we're doing. Right. Regardless of what you call our rap, it's made up of our personalities. Sure, there's a hippie-like feeling there, but it's no different than other feelings, too. And I do think it's like an applicable label to apply. But again, this is a record that I, I, it feels like it defies labels, and it's all about not being labeled. I think that I, I, I think that the the quote you read is like the perfect way to summarize it. Where and pause. He's clearly like he knows what's going on. You know. The media needs to attach title to it so they can work on it from there. Absolutely. That's so true. They need a, and you a see that happen to bands all the time. Yeah. That was Blur and Oasis Blur and getting Oasis. called Britpop. Yes. You know? That was Fallout Boy in the mid-2000s getting called Emo. Absolutely. It's just we need to put things in boxes so we can understand So it. that we can talk about you without having to talk about you for three straight minutes for people to get it. You know? And if that helps people find a path to approach it like I needed... Sure, that's great. But I don't think we should let it define this band. And I'm glad that they didn't. You know, immediately after this, they came out with their second album, De La Soul is Dead. And the promotion for that record featured a lot of images like broken flower pots yes. and dead daisies. Right. And that felt like such a good, smart move for them to do. Agreed. Great. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Like uh, navigating of their own image. Uh the only thing I'll say about the hippie label is that, like, move past the fact that hippies are a punchline and, and you know, that that what we're really talking about is, like, idealism for idealism's sake. I think that what they're, what they're doing here is a little bit more sensitive and a little bit more well-rounded and with a, with a more realistic understanding of the world that they're living in. And also, get a bunch of 19-year-olds together... Get four 19-year-olds together who can rap at any fucking high school in America, and let's see if they have anything to say about positivity. 19-year-olds are pieces of shit. Like, these guys, it's crazy that that's what they wanted to talk about, and it's beautiful, and it's great. I'm glad we had a group that wanted to and was able to as well as they were at this point in time. Absolutely. They feel essential to this moment in hip-hop. I don't know what we would have done without them. It felt like the whole, like, the other side of the spectrum would have kind of overtaken things and pushed the genre into a place where 
like maybe it shouldn't have gone and maybe one where it wouldn't have been able to be as successful if it didn't have this other more positive stuff tempering it out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, mm-hmm. And <laughs> it is, there's something kind of funny about having this big song where they reject this hippie label followed up by a song called This is a Recording for Living in a Full-Time Era Life, which is like yeah. kind of a hippie sentiment. Uh, or at least at least sounds like the name of a book that could have come out in the, in the like Steal This Book era or the Timothy Leary era, you know? Very Timothy Leary. That's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. The boys love their acronyms, that's for sure. This one's cool. Not really one of my favorites on the record, but I, I enjoy the hook a lot. And the I like the staccato kind of trading back and forth of the verses i like how the the this is a recording sample like always cuts off that last line so they'll be like living in a full time this is a recording uh i like that i i i like that first verse where they're trading off back and forth which is something they would do a little bit more on some of their 90s records um that's pretty cool and i do like that trugoy talks about how you shouldn't steal the mic from him when he says uh uh, grab the plug twos, live wire, my brother, and find that you've grabbed my pet boa constrictor. I like that. Snake in the dream. What do you think about what do you think about Ringo's the garbage I'm hearing? It made me think about the the Quincy Jones uh, interview that came out this week that everybody's been talking about where he <laughs> I really enjoyed that part of it, yeah. <laughs> they literally just tricked him. He talks about how Ringo couldn't really get like a drum part down, and he's like, Hey man, why don't you why don't you go hit the pub and <laughs> get a pint and then they like bring in some like what like funk drummer to come in and do it yeah just record it like Ringo Starr style and then he came back and said okay well let's listen to what you recorded again Ringo and they played him that guy's track and Ringo said oh it sounds pretty good and Quincy Jones was like motherfucker that's because it's not you That whole Quincy Jones uh, interview is really yeah, good. Yeah, definitely worth digging through. There's some eye-opening stuff there. I love that 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 Richard Pryor's widow just came right out and said, "No, yeah, that's true. Richard Pryor and Marlon Brando had sex together." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go look up that interview. It's great. Anyway, uh, I, I'm with pause on on taking a, a little cheap shot at Ringo. I always think it's yeah. fun. And next, we've got the final skit. I can do anything. De La Craig. <laughs> Okay, yeah, love this. Don't cut these. This is the this is this finishes off that little white album trilogy of, of silly play around things that I think are so much fun. I can hold two pieces of doo doo in my hands. I'm all for it. I could hold two pieces of doo doo in my hand. I love it. I could call everybody in that room a rubber now. Great. Come on, please. Don't cut this. It's great. Don't cut it. It's really good. <laughs> I could stick my hand up my nose. I could hold my foot and count to three. And I love Prince Paul at the end going, Posse, Derby, Macy. Great. That's my bag. Great. Sounds like, it sounds like he's he's like packing up to leave, you know, because the album's almost over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we get the final track, Daisy Age. Whoa. Stay, stay, stay. Buddy. I love daisies. I love daisies. I love pushing up your favorite daisies. This is Posse News, the president of a paragraph. I can't really get with this beat, Trevor. I still, all these years later, this, this always kind of lands with a little bit of a thud for me as the closer i think it works pretty well as a closer it's not really one of my favorite songs on the record but i think it wraps things up in a fashion that i that i can get down with i like the the way the hook kind of slowly comes in one element at a time every time they repeat it and it it feels like a nice little piece of punctuation at the end 
I really appreciate the spirit of experimentation here, but the mm-hmm. but the actual like the the rapping and the beat feel so kind of like awkward, stilted to me. And like I, like like I said on the last one, it's kind of very staccato. The verses really don't do anything for me. Paragraph, president, president, preaching about the one tech. Like yeah, I do like that. This is pause and who's the president of a paragraph intro, but sure. the verses yeah they don't really bowl me over like some of the other ones on the record do the cadences are kind of so specific and that there's not like a lot of room to write a great verse here yeah. um i don't know it, it, like they spent the whole album fleshing out this concept of the in a sound y'all and you get to a song called daisy age and you want it to be like the plastic beach of the album and then it's not that so you're a little bit disappointed that's that's my take anyway uh, I almost feel like uh, me, myself, and I is the real plastic beach of the album. Me too. I agree. And this is this is more like the um, this is more like the cloud of unknowing or pirate jet or something like. that. I can feel that. The, the part that yeah. I do really like is that vocalizing at the end, the the la 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 las, and the, this is the day. Yeah, the hook, the hook in the big chorus at the end. That's really good, and it feels like a good way to close out the album. I wondered if that was China and Jet doing that singing. I've always thought it was, but I mean, it easily could have not have been. I do like the skit that that wraps it up, though. Oh yeah, we get to go back to the end of the game show and check it on our on our contestants and see if they've gotten any of the right answers, which they don't. And then they and then they invite the listener, if you know the right answers, to send it in with your UPC from buying the album, and you could win the grand prize. You need two proof of purchases from the record. Yeah. So you got to buy it twice. You got to buy it twice and send it. You know, some people must have, right? Do you do you think they sent in? I would have. I really wish I could see any submissions that they got oh me too i'd love to i looked around too to see if if i could find anybody talking in an interview about that that would be a great thing for them to you know include if they ever reissue this record oh that'd be great scans of that shit if somebody still has it up in a label uh, you know in a storage box or something like that that'd be so cool because i mean this was this was kind of a pre-internet thing there was like a send in for your secret decoder ring thing that was a like oh the, my my favorite example of it, it would be activision with the with the game pitfall where it was like if you got every piece of treasure in the game Pitfall and you took a picture of your TV screen displaying your score from doing that uh, and, and sent in that picture into Activision, they would send you like a like a badge that you could wear to school that was like that you were a Pitfall master. <laughs> You've been the coolest kid in class. Yeah. My favorite thing about this, though, is that they tell you to send in your submission to uh, care of Dante the Scrub. <laughs> really yeah. good throwback. I love that. <laughs> really good. Always fucking with Dante. Love it. Always fucking with Dante. Love it. Um, I know you didn't you didn't spin it, but can I just say a couple of things about this 12-inch version of Plug Tuna? Yo, Possum Dove, stand clear to be plugged up into line one and two so y'all can flaunt that new style of speed. Sure, that closes us out. Yeah, the uh, reprise of Plug Tune In. I think it's the better version. I think if if you if you if I would like it if they cut that other one and kept this one. Although I do kind of see what you mean about the about it showing resurfacing at the end being cool. Uh, kind of like a nice hidden track, I think. You know, an encore. But it does feel a little bit more like an ending to me for some reason. The flow is slightly different. They're, these are different recordings. They're, they sound a little bit more assured for some reason. And there's more of this like weird echo effect happening underneath them that I really like. Uh, and and even the beat has a little bit more of the high end to it than the than the mid album version. I like this version of Plug Tune in a little bit more, and I like Plug Tune in as a as a send off for this record too. I would definitely. You know, I would include it, like, on the reissued CD version of this album, for sure, definitely. Let's talk about how we would reissue this album, though, because I have two different versions that kind of abbreviate the track list. I couldn't really decide on whether I wanted to go with 
a super short tight one or a kind of more medium one that trimmed what I interpreted to be the fat but still kind of let it breathe and kept what I thought was essential. So I'm going to give you both, okay? Okay, yeah, definitely. That's I'm excited about that. I've got this this 12 track 40 minute version that I see as a vinyl release. Okay, great. All right, so side 1 start off with intro. Good. The magic number. Good. Change in speak. Sure. Ghetto thang. Great. I know. Oh, we've just we're, we're there's no Jennifer on this one. No. Okay, okay. Sorry. It's okay. I know. I know. Yeah. And then close out side one with Can You Keep a Secret? Can You Keep a Secret is the closer for side one. I like that. Right? It's a lot of fun. Side two opens with Plug Tune In. Okay. Then we go into Potholes in My Lawn. Potholes in My Lawn, sure. Buddy. Buddy, right? Description. Yeah. Me, Myself, and I. Great. And Daisy Age. Daisy Age is the closer. 12 tracks, 40 minutes. That's, that's really cool. I really like that. Yeah. I think that's pretty tight. Then I got like a slightly longer CD version. This is 16 songs in 50 minutes. I'm going to take you through this one. I predict this will be my favorite of the two. It was my prediction. Uh, it's still going to be missing some stuff you like. We got intro, the magic number, change and speak. Okay. Can you keep a secret? Right. Ghetto thang. Sure. I know. Still, still skipping Jennifer. <laughs> take it off. Right. Potholes in my lawn. Potholes in my lawn. Plug tune in. Right. Say no go. Right. Buddy. Description. Yeah. Me, myself, and I. Sure. This is a recording for living in a full-time era. Right. I can do anything, Dalecratic and Daisy Age. Okay, cool. I like I, I, I like the I think I still like the second one a little bit better. Uh, it's I'm willing to spend fifty minutes with this album, so this is the one that I'm probably gonna listen to most in the future. I, I think honestly I would just lift out the first four singles if I was gonna cut this thing down and Oh, I like them so much though. I know like there are they don't have that daisy factor, but they're still such good songs that I really enjoy. Honestly, what I wish I had, I wish I had a cassette tape of those first four singles as like the De La Soul demo. And then I, and then this other thing, Three Feet High and Rising, you know, separate from those things. But, but, ultimately the best version of this album is the one we have. This is, a, this is so special. This is so special. And I'm glad that I, it was able to kind of reveal itself to me this time around for the special record that it really is. I'm glad that I'm firmly... In this record's corner now. Me too. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love this record. It is a great album. Fuck yeah. I love this record. I love De La Soul. I highly recommend anyone listening to this who hasn't heard it before, go check it out. It might be kind of hard because it isn't available for streaming. That's a little annoying. Yeah. That's I, a bummer. But, you know, because of the legal disputes surrounding it in the past... They can't really go back and dig through all like the samples, I guess, to kind of clear everything. Right. That's the that's the. So they run the risk of opening themselves up to more lawsuits. But you know, find this album, give it a listen, because it really is one of those essential ten poles of early hip hop, and you know, just hip hop in general. It's still classic. I'll say it. I I think it's the best hip hop album of the 1980s, like full stop. And I know Paul's boutique is really special, and I mean, Straight Outta Compton has its is is so significant. But I think this is it. I think Three Feet High and Rising is it. I think it's the, the best hip-hop album of the 80s. I would probably agree with you. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Yeah. Um, wow, what an episode. What an epic. We got through it. <laughs> Trevor, we really did it. It was, a really, it was a lot of fun to do. I don't know if it's fun to listen to, but it was a lot of fun to do. <laughs> We're just approaching that two-hour mark on the recording time. <laughs> Great. So this Great. is going to be... <laughs> Looking forward to editing this one. A bit of a beast. A little bit of a beast. A bit of a beast. 
but that's okay. That's okay. Sometimes you got to get a little bloated. It's not that we wouldn't rein it in. It's that we couldn't rein it in, Trevor. And maybe it didn't even need to be reined in. We're not Migos. We're not Migos. Big albums take big episodes. <laughs> and But we're talking about uh, another big album next week. Oh, I'm very excited about this. I think that this has the potential to be like the the maybe the, the climax of the season. This has the potential to be a classic episode of Howley Monkeys. We're going to be taking a look at This Nation's Saving Grace by the fall in honor of the late Marky Smith, who recently passed away a few weeks Rest ago. Rest in peace, Marky Smith. Rest in peace, Marky Smith, captain of the HMS Glitter Freeze. Cannot wait to spend a week with this album, Trevor. <laughs> I cannot wait to talk to you about this record. As someone who has already listened to it quite a bit in recent days, uh-huh. I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's going to be my first yeah. time uh, cracking it since uh, since we lost good old Mark. So uh, the chaotic evil of Marky Smith. Yeah, let's uh, let's reconvene for a séance and a send off uh, next week. Until then, I'd like to encourage you all to check us out on Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and Amino and uh, 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 Instagram and and to leave us a review on iTunes to join our Discord at discord.me slash monkeys with a Z. Uh, and to join our Patreon at, at uh, patreon.com slash monkeys. Follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash monkeys. And uh, uh, also make sure to subscribe to and leave iTunes uh, reviews for and follow the Twitter accounts of your other podcast, The Fabulous One-Hit Wonders of the World, featuring uh, extended Howley Monkeys family member Maxton Sendstrom. Yeah, we're actually supposed to be recording an episode in an hour and a half, but I haven't heard it from him today, so we'll see if that ends up going. Our last episode was uh, Get What You Give by New Radicals. and What a great episode. What a great episode. Really good. I had a lot of fun talking talking about that song with some friends. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And uh, this, this week we're going to be doing... Um, who let the dogs out by the Baja Men? Oh boy, guarantees to be a good time. I can't wait to learn everything there is to know about the Baja Men. Yeah, but until next time, uh, I guess uh, keep your unit on you. We have a sign off, right? Yeah, my name's Trevor Ickrath. My name's Dylan Flynn. And until next week, don't get lost in heaven. Demo. Nah, nah. It's just me, myself, and I. Just me, myself, and I. It's just me, myself, and I. Okay, um, I I'm I'm rolling tape. Do you mind if I'm gonna do like a little a corny little bit and then, but it's gonna have a good edit point if you decide you just don't want to include it. Sure. Okay. Uh, you ready to roll? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Milkies, the podcast where adult men talk about breastfeeding. Maxton Centrum can't be here today, so I'm just, just me, Dylan Flynn, sorry. Uh, here's the update. Ramona, is uh, she gained six pounds, and I had to move her little strap up two notches in her, uh, in her car seat. She's a big, fat, chubby baby, and I love her. This has been Hallelujah Milkies for this week and probably forever. Uh, okay, now...